How's it going, everybody? Aloha, good morning, and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bose Football Final here at KJON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me, we got former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano. We got former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman RJ Hollis. And guys, in the final game at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex in the regular season for the University of Hawaii football team in 2021, the debut season on campus for the Bows, the UH football team victorious, beating Colorado State 50-45, to a game that was thoroughly entertaining for the fans that went down there in Manoa, a game that the University of Hawaii led 36-10 to at one point, only to have the Rams just open the playbook, start playing backyard football and find themselves in it within five points late in that game. But the University of Hawaii able to slam the door and really everyone had their hand in a victory for the Bows offense, defense, special teams. And so there's a lot to talk about here with this victory. But the first things first is, guys, last week we talked about this UH football team and coming off of the demoralizing loss at UNLV in Allegiant Stadium, which uh, ended Hawaii's bold chances in regards to clinching and having bowl eligibility. We'll get into a little bit of there's some bowl mystery still lingering here um, late in the season, but it guaranteed no winning season for the regular season. And, uh, and there was a lot of emotion when that game ended. And so there's a lot of question of how will a team respond from that? And what you saw was a team that responded and played as hard, if not harder, than we've seen them play all season long. So first things first, Rich, what does that tell you about this football team, whether from a coaching standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, or these players? Uh, what really jumps out to you of what we learned about this football team from an intestinal fortitude standpoint? Yeah, that they had pride. You know, I talked about early, earlier in that broadcast was, there, you know, the name on the back of the jersey, the state on the front of the jersey, this plan for the seniors. It showed the character of this football team. And when you look at this was by far the most complete game on all three phases, by far the best game on special teams, kickoff returns, punt yardage, Shipley's three made field goals. He missed one, but uh, he, he played well. You look at the return game. First time we've seen explosive returns. Um, if you look at defensively, um, 11 uh, tackles for losses, five sacks, you know, Darius Muasau, the, the three guys I talked about being as good as anybody who's played here in the last decade or two, Corey uh, Bethley, Darius Musau, and also Cortez Davis had phenomenal coverage downfield in another big game. Then you talk about offensively. People probably thought, oh, Rich, you know, he patronizes Chevron Cordero. I've been saying all year long, this is the most dangerous, the best player in this conference. He had 300 yards of total offense, 299 in the first half, you know, in terms of 250 something for passing and 47 for rushing this guy uh he made so many spectacular throws and then zion bowens you look at guys like nick martner again was big Dedrick parsons was big calvin turner was big 
This was the offense we have been talking about. We have been waiting for. So to me, complete performance. It was, you know, again, they gave up a lot of yards uh, defensively, but this was Bo Graham at his best, the offense at his best, defensively doing what they do, and special teams finally helping win a football game. Again, pride, Rob, resiliency, fortitude, all of those things, Hawaii showed up. Yeah, and RJ, last week you had talked about this is when you find out how much a team truly loves each other because you're playing for the love of your teammates. You're playing for the love of the program that you represent. You're playing for the love of the state that you represent. Did you see that love on Saturday night? A hundred and ten percent. You know, like like you mentioned earlier, they were up uh, about 26 points at one point, and I was actually holding out, you know, some sort of hope for a dominant performance because at the end of the day, that just gives us a lot more firepower come Monday uh, when we got to do the Bulls football final. But at the same time, most definitely, I mean, let, let's let's not mistake what made the loss against UNLV as bad as it was. You needed to get in the bowl contention, and that was a thing. But you're talking about a team that hadn't won a game in two years, and then UH became the second victory. I think the biggest concern was that not only was this talent not going up to where it needed to be, you were losing the love of the players. You were losing the emotion of the players. There was no chance that they were going to be able to come out and have any sort of performance that would have fans believe that come next year, that come Wyoming next week, we're going to have something to watch. And I think Saturday night, they disproved all of that. You put up 50 points. The defense was dominating. I mean, Corey Bethley and, and – uh, Darius Moosau looked like Kane and Undertaker. I mean, Shevin looked like he was playing back in his, you know, St. Louis days. You had Zion Bowens, who shows up and catches more passes, as many passes as he did for the whole season, but then triples his output. So you got guys coming out of the woodwork making plays happen. You got uh, uh, 5,000 people showing up to T.C. Ching, which wasn't as many as last time, but at the same time, you had a great performance on all three phases. You did let it get closer than you wanted to, but at the same time, you won the game. And one thing I always say on this show, I always say, period. Put up whatever statistic you want in front of me, and the only thing I care about was did you get the Samuel L or did you get the George W? And after falling to UNLV, having doubt all throughout that locker room, somehow, some way, these guys got the George W. So tip my hat off and a big salute to that uh, victory the Bulls put up on Saturday night. Yeah, both of you guys talked about the offense, and we'll start there because that was where we spent the majority of our time last week talking about the issues with the offense. Shevin Cordero goes 23 of 41, 406 yards passing, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. He was sacked three times, but he also made the Rams pay for his legs, right? And, and what he was able to do getting out of that pocket on a handful of occasions. He had a, a long of 20 yards rushing. Diedrich Parson had 11 carries for 78 yards, two touchdowns that served as the knockout blow to Colorado State in the fourth quarter. And then, as you mentioned, Zion Bowen, six catches, 172 yards and a touchdown. Nick Marner, five catches, 97 yards and a touchdown. Calvin Turner Jr., seven catches, 94 yards. And Hawaii needed every single one of those 94 yards he got because they came at the biggest moments, keeping drives alive and, uh, and really pushing Colorado State on their heels here in this game. And so... Give credit where credit is due. This offense 
was the offense that, hey, you know, we had talked about that. We all, all three of us said that, hey, if this offense executed, this season could have looked a little different. You can have your complaints about what the scheme is and, and, and maybe even the succession of plays and whatever it is. But with all that being said, there was always in the conversation of, you know, with that being said, if some of these passes were caught, if some of these penalties weren't committed, if some of these fumbles didn't happen, a lot of these games look a lot different. What you saw in this game was everything work. Uh, the play calling, the execution, security of the football, it all worked and it turned into 50 points. And so, Rich, what stands out to you most? Because I want to ask you in, in these two different things right here. Shevin Cordero appeared to be more comfortable from the opening snap than any time we've seen Shevin in, in quite some time, right? And we always joke around about Shevin loves chaos, and that's when he looks more, most comfortable. His freshman and sophomore years coming in off the bench down 21, he looked cool as a cucumber and that's where he finds his comfort we have not seen him that comfortable in a while but yet from the start of this game how quickly he made his decisions how quickly he either got the ball out or got himself out of the pocket was quicker than we've seen in quite some time now with that being said we also saw the play calling look a little different than it has in recent weeks and that's with Bo Graham the offensive coordinator upstairs in the booth for the first time this season and so when I ask you those two things, Shevin's comfort level, Bo Graham in the booth, what do you think played the biggest role in this offensive production of a Todd Graham era best 50 points? Yeah, and I think Bo was also up in the booth, the UCLA game, Rob, and then he came down the second game. So you're right, it's been 10 games now where he's been on the field. They made that structural change. But let's talk about, first of all, you mentioned execution. The execution was much better in terms of they would drop balls. I mean, Calvin Turner dropped the touchdown right in his face mask, but not as many. They, they, they were better in terms of uh, alignment, assignment, and, and technique and all those other things. But then, you know, schematics. This is what, if you encapsulated what Todd Graham has said throughout the course of this season, you would say, let's try to go vertical 10 to 14 times. I would imagine there were eight to 10 deep throws. Let's the outside running game is our quick passing game. And we need to get that going for confidence in the quarterback, especially early. You saw the funnel screens, you saw the hitches, you saw the smoke throws, you saw all the short passing game that led to broken tackles and moving the chains. If you talked about elite discipline, you'd say, you know, we have way too many penalties. There was one penalty, Rob, for five yards at halftime. They weren't playing behind the chains uh, all game long. They weren't making, turning the ball over, so to speak, like they have in the past. So you're right, Rob. It, it takes better schematics. It takes better quarterback play, which we saw, you know, Shevin wasn't perfect, but he, he was phenomenal. It takes discipline in terms of not playing behind the chains it takes all these things we talk about execution alignment assignment fundamentals all these type of things this was a game where there's never such thing as a perfect offensive performance but you you mentioned it rob i as a talent evaluator from a coach somebody that watches them practice knows what type of talent they have that's been the most disappointing thing is can you're not going to put it all together every game but you got enough parts you got enough talent you got enough uh players to make this thing on a weekly basis 
maybe not necessarily have 200 yard rushing, which they're six and oh, when they did not necessarily have over 500 yards of total offense, which they do. And they've been successful with Todd Graham every time they've been over the 500 yard mark offensively on both Graham. But this was a game where, again, it validates, it confirms the validity of what we've been saying all along. The most frustrating thing is, is they have the weapons, they have the ability, but it's not just coaching and schematics. It is execution. It is discipline. And they finally showed glimpses on, all three of those phases. RJ, you've been talking about it all season long that what makes it the most frustrating, kind of like what Rich said, is that you know what this team is capable of. You know that with the play calls that they could have won more games. You know that with the talent, they could have won more games. What did you see on Saturday that tells you that, yeah, that's what I've been saying all along, that this team could have been a lot better than they showed in 2021? I mean, take take your pick, whether you want to just talk about the performances. You know, you got two passing touchdowns. You got three rushing touchdowns from this offense. You got four different guys that were close to the century mark of offensive production at skill positions, not the quarterback. You got four guys that were going to do 100 yards performing. And if Calvin Turner doesn't drop that touchdown that Rich Miano's talking about, he's well over 100 yards of production. So I think it's not only that. We've seen it in bits and pieces throughout the season. This game was a perfect example of how every single possession matters. In the first quarter, you only got three field goals, no touchdowns. That's nine points. You won by five. So at the end of the day, those possessions that were only turning into three points, which may not have seemed like successful drives, which may not have seemed like that's everything we needed. At the end of the game, it turned out to be exactly what you needed. UH has four games this year separated by one touchdown or less. You're two and two in those games. So imagine if you're four and oh, how much that swings. Well, two games separated by two possessions means we only needed one extra good possession in those games. And that would have changed the outlook of that individual game which therefore changes the entire season. So I think with the offense we just saw on Saturday night, every offensive possession they had looked important to them. It seemed like every single time UH had the ball offensively, there was a goal, whether it was hold on to the ball, whether it was beat up on the defense, whether it was let your defense rest or get close enough to get in the field goal range or just get the knockout blow, which you did twice with Dedrick Parson. It seemed like this offense had the intent every single drive that they wanted to make it count for something. And if you do that the entire season, well, we already know that could be a different schematic, but the game's over. The games are over. You can't go back and replace what you've done, but you have something on Saturday that shows you everything that people have been wanting out of you. You can do everything that you've been criticized for because people know there's better because there have been talent evaluators. There have been analysts. There have been former players. There have been current players all talking about how the offense could be better. And Saturday night, they showed it. That offense was the best that we've seen it all year. Probably the best we've seen it since about last year versus New Mexico when Zion Bowens had the two catch 82 yard, uh, two touchdown game. Nick Martiner also went for about a buck 50 that game. So I don't think we've seen that offense perform as great since that New Mexico game last year. And I think that's what everybody was holding on to. We see it. You can do it. There's Chevin Cordero with these loaded baked potato weapons. You didn't even have to use Kowali Nishigaya last night. That's just one of my favorite names to say. But the guy's a weapon. You know, you got weapons that you're not even using. Tamatoa Mokiao Atamalala 
got some work in on Saturday night. So it's like, these are guys that aren't even your main targets and you can make it work with them there. Day Day Hunter's your number one running back. Who scored your touchdowns? Dedrick Parson, who almost went for 100 yards total in offense. Dedrick Parson. So you know that even with a hurt team, you beat ranked teams with your backup quarterback. You've had to replace running backs. You've had to replace receivers. You've had to replace your right guard, and you have still been able to make success. Rob, Saturday night they showed what everybody's been bugging about. If you can just do what you need to do, including only getting three field goals in the first quarter, you could have changed the entire spectrum of the season. So we're not going to go back on that. But on Saturday, they did everything that they needed to do and got out of there with a five-point victory. Okay, Rich, last thing about the offense before we move on to the defense. I just want to ask you this. How intrigued are you to see the offense on Saturday against Wyoming, right? Now, now try to back up and think about how you felt the day after the UNLV game, the loss to Allegiant Stadium where the offense had arguably its worst performance in the Todd Graham era, right? And then now you move ahead to today, Monday of game week of the final regular season game of the season for the University of Hawaii. How intrigued are you to see what this offensive play calling performance schematics and all that could be with Bo in the box again, because let's face it. They look completely different from Bo Graham on the sideline, Bo Graham in the sky. How intrigued are you to see what Saturday could look like? Yeah, it's intriguing, Rob. And it goes back to us. I've felt all year long, we were going to see a consistent offense that scores a lot of points and is explosive. And, uh, they were going to spread the ball around to 10 or 11 different receivers. As RJ mentioned, two really good running backs, a quarterback who should be the MVP of this league if he plays up to his potential. So you're right. Can they do it two games in a row? Can they do it? And I looked at the four-day forecast. It's only going to be supposedly 40 degrees. It'll probably get colder as the game wears on. So hopefully it's not. Oh, too look windy. out, Justin Cruz. Your job's in jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it's not going to be really windy because I think that affects uh, throwing the ball as much as anything. But I do think they have the ability to pound the ball, as RJ mentioned, with the rushing touchdowns. They have the ability to I, – I thought the ball was spinning out of Shevin's hands better than it has all year long. I thought he's making better decisions. I thought the game plan was so much better. So if they continue at that level – it's going to be a great game because don't forget now, Wyoming just went up and whooped up on Utah State, who I think is the best, one of the best teams in the Mountain West Conference in Logan, Utah. So this is going to be to validate the talent, the potential, the is Bo Graham uh, a, a good enough offensive coordinator? Can they do it two games in a row? Are the players going to execute? Are we going to have penalties again? Are we going to have drop footballs again? Are we going to have turnovers on offense? Because you know what you're going to get out of this defense. They're going to bend. They're going to give up some yards. They're going to give up some points. But they're going to take the ball away better than anybody in America. Are they going to, on special teams, win the hidden yardage stuff? Are they going to be consistent? Are they going to have explosive plays in the return game? They're going to need all that, Rob, because this Wyoming team is for real. And if you're not going to a bowl game, this is your bowl game because this is the last game. And you remember this, all of these guys coming back, the freshmen, the sophomores, the juniors, who knows, the COVID guys, the six-year players. I don't even know anymore how much eligibility some of these guys have. 
but you're only as good as your last game. You only go into the offseason thinking about how well you played. Yeah, sure, you're disappointed. And the most disappointed guys, Rob, are the coaches and the guys in that offensive locker room because they know they have not played up to their talent and their potential. But if they can do it this game, two games in a row, they're going to feel good as a springboard as catapulting them to the off season. And you got, you want them to feel good in this off season because it's a long off season in football. All right. Rich brought it up as far as defensively, you know, what you're going to get out of this unit. They're going to give up some yards, but they're going to take the ball away. They're going to collect tackle for loss. They're going to hit the quarterback. They're going to take some chances. And in most cases, I mean, when those huge chances are made, one of two things happen explosive play by the deep by the offense or someone's on their butt because Todd Graham has a way of dialing up uh, in certain moments that when he takes a risk, you know, even if it doesn't work out, the, the, the UH defense lays the lumber on the quarterback or whoever it is that has that ball. And so RJ Hollis, you tweeted out a picture or video during the game of the brothers of destruction undertaker and Kane and saying, this is Darius Moussau and Corey Bethley. I mean, it almost seems silly at this point to take up time in Bo's football final to talk about how special of a tandem this is, but truly uh, it's, it's almost fictional in in regards to what Corey (laughs) Bethley and Darius Moussau do it every week. I mean, Darius has 13 tackles. He needed 12 to get to hundred for the season and back-to-back seasons joining only Jelani Tobai and Corey Paredes who did it in back-to-back years over the last 20 years in UH football. And Darius Moussau goes and gets 13. So he now has over 100 tackles yet again with another game to play. Corey Bethley, you're like, ah, from that position, he plays that linebacker safety hybrid and they're moving him around so much. How can he possibly get as many interceptions as he has? Boom, he gets a pick in this game as well. He gets a couple of hits on the quarterback. He gets a sack. He gets a tackle for loss. How crazy is this, RJ? I mean, how do they keep almost exceeding expectations of what's possible out of this tandem? Well, I, I mean, at, crazy at this point, I don't know if you would call it that because we've just seen what they do. I mean, running running over the stats just real quick Saturday. These two together, 19 tackles, three sacks, three and a half TFLs, two forced fumbles, and a pick. God Neither me. one of them is over 6-2. And you got, got, like, I know for a fact there's people on these offenses that are scared of where 53 and where five line up. But at the end of the day, Kane and Undertaker is the best way to to kind of put these two into perspective because you actually just did it for me. The one thing Undertaker had was that long streak, right, that he said that about nobody else is going to get. Well, let's not forget Darius Moussaud did not line up as a senior on Saturday. He's coming back. So who's to say he doesn't go and get another 100-yard season? Maybe something happens where he gets another one and then he has a streak that can't be beat. Then you talk about somebody like Kane, which you can place the KB. Now, Kane may not have the records. He may not be as big time as everybody else. And I do feel for my non-pro wrestling fans that can't get this analogy. But when Kane shows up, what does he do? He just destroys stuff. Ain't even about what's my goal. What what do I need to get done? I'm just going to kill it. Whatever happens, I'm going to destroy you. I feel like that's Corey Bethley. I feel like Corey Bethley takes the field. Yes, he has an assignment. Yes, he has things that he needs to get done. But I feel like he plays with a family-sized bag of Lay's chips on his shoulders, and he just snacks on them every single play. Oh, yeah, I might not be that big, sack. 
Oh, I might not be the perfect guy, force fumble. Oh, I might not be what you want, TFL. And I'm going to be the best at that every game. I mean, when you talk about guys like Corey Bethley, you start to compare him to people like Honey Badger. And if you haven't watched every game, you may think that's crazy. But when you look at the hybrid, the way they're used everywhere, the way you have to watch them go from this side to that side, Rich brought it up, you know, two to three weeks ago where Corey Bethley starts on the left side, they adjust to him, and then he flips sides on his own and still makes the play. Like, these two guys, and don't get me wrong, it's an entire defense Saturday night, 11 TFLs, five sacks, four turnovers from this defense as an entirety. So the entire defense is stepping up and showing out. But when you point out these two guys, the amount of times we have to speak on them, the amount of times we bring up their special performances, their talent, their, you know, two interception game or another 12 tackle game or another whatever it is they may be doing. I think it's just you see with these two guys, the way their game has elevated since Coach Ty Graham has got there, the way that they are consistently making plays at this point, I think it's crazy when it started, but now for, you know, the people that watch games week in, week out, we know five and 53 are going to do something. And at the end of the day, it's just going to be one of the Saturdays. They don't feel it that we might bring up their names again because they didn't destroy everything that was in their path. Hey, Rich Miano, uh, one thing that we kind of glossed over, but definitely deserves a lot more attention is that it was senior night at the Clarence TC Ching Athletics Complex for 17 University of Hawaii football players. And we talked about this so much in the broad, the game broadcast on Spectrum Sports of when you look at this group, when you look at this class, truly there is not a class in University of Hawaii football history that has gone through what these guys have gone through. Going through two head coaches, going through the highest of highs of winning a division championship, something that UH hadn't done as part of the Mountain West Conference, winning bowl games to this in this season that UNLV lost, which at the time um, delivered the knockout blow to your bowl chances, ending a streak of of three consecutive bowl game appearances, trying to make it four. Then you add to it a pandemic. You add to the abrupt eviction to Aloha Stadium, which just seems silly to say. Uh, then the 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 construction of the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex to making your debut on campus for the first time in program history and the first handful of games are played in absolute silence in front of nobody. And then you get some people for one game. Then you get a little bit more people for the next game. Then, hey, we're going to open it up. Everyone can come, but you can't eat. You can't drink. You can't have kids. You can't. I mean, it is bonkers what these guys have been through. And so how fitting was it that, that they're able to be sent off at least – from a home game standpoint uh, with a victory by their teammates. Yeah, Rob. And, and I just real quickly want to touch on if Corey Bethley and Darius Muasau play for any other power five conference team in America, and they had the statistics they have, if they did what they do on a weekly basis, I'm talking first team, all American. I I'm not, uh, it's not hyperbole. This, those two guys, I, 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 I don't know if we've ever witnessed a better tandem. Okay, yeah, Rob, getting back to the senior class, this to me has been the most re resilient group, the, the group that has had the most adversity. And I'm talking about 130 FBS teams. Nobody traveled 40,000 miles, Rob. I'm not even sure people traveled 20,000 miles. Nobody has ever had seven road trips uh, to the continent, flying coach, you know, Planes, trains, automobiles, missed school, uh, 
jet lag, the whole thing, you know, and these guys don't travel first class. They don't travel charter. Nobody's lost their stadium, so to speak, where they had no fans all season long. Well, halfway through the season, then there was a thousand, then there was supposed to be full capacity, but you know, not playing in front of your Ohana, not having your friends and family there for most of the season, you know, the adversity of having a different coaching staff. Um, this has been a season where you've got to give some props, some credit to Todd Graham and his staff, and more importantly, this senior group, this leadership group, to holding it all together and hopefully finishing strong with another victory against Wyoming. Because again, you this is not Disney-like. There are probably teams close. New Mexico State comes to mind uh, in terms of the adversity that they faced. But again, nobody's traveled more. Nobody's played all right, looks like we lost Rich Miano there for a second. Some connection issues. Hopefully, Rich can join us here in just a bit. But, RJ, as Rich was talking about, this is a class that has been through so much. And whether it's in season, whether it's in their entire UH experience. And so uh, just shed a little light about what this senior class from the outside now uh, of you watching this team, what this senior class represents. Uh, I think the, the Rich hit it on the head with the word resiliency. I mean, definitely 100% a resilient group. Two years, uh, no capacity crowds. And I mean, even with the two capacity crowds they were allowed this season, you're talking no kids. You can't have uh, tailgating, no food, only drinking water. So that obviously reduced the amount of people that played in front of them. And I can tell you right now, game days is what I lived for. So, you know, for these guys to have to work as hard as every Division One group, to have to travel more than every other Division One group, have just as many obstacles, if not more than every one Division One group, and not even get the basic things like watch, having your family watch you and having a capacity crowd. I think that just speaks to the resiliency of them. Uh, you've never seen these guys, you know, get too out of hand or start flying off the handlebars. You, you never seen things that were just completely uncharacteristic of, of University of Hawaii football players. And, you know, even though it may not end the way they want it to, as a player who only went to one bowl game and had one season that was barely above 500, the legacy of this senior group, I think, will be, you know, one of the biggest things they can hold their head on. You beat a ranked opponent. You won a mainland bowl game, you know, so you, you beat teams that haven't been beat by the University of Hawaii on home soil since 92. So even though it may not have gone all the way, the way you wanted it to, there are parts of the University of Hawaii football history that will be attributed and connected to this senior class. So even though it may not have been the storybook Cinderella, Disney Pixar ending that everybody may have wanted, this senior group in particular still has a lot to be proud of. They overcame a lot and they still have an opportunity to leave on a high note. And you know, all them rings that you guys got, I only got one in my four years of being at the university. So, you know, this, this senior class, even though they probably didn't end the way they wanted to, they definitely have a lot to be proud of. And the older they get, the more they'll come back to these memories and realize they did something great uh, while they were here with the university. All right, and we're going to go to the Bose football final mailbox. We got Rich Miano back in the house. And as always, you can hit me up on social media at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N on Twitter, at Rob DeMello on Instagram and Facebook. Heck, you can email me. And, I, you know, to be honest, I, I've been getting a lot of emails recently for these Bose football final mailbox. I don't remember telling people my email address, but it's uh, rdemello at khon2.com if you want to reach me out that way. 
Um, so uh, let, let's start with this. Really, all three are interesting questions. Um, but the first one I want to get at is we kind of glossed over it real quickly about the bowl game situation where, yes, Hawaii was eliminated from bowl clinching eligibility, but there's an outside chance that if Hawaii can beat Wyoming and then the five remaining spots aren't filled by teams that need to get their sixth win here this upcoming weekend. And there's a chance that Hawaii can get into the bowl game in the same way that they reached the bowl game in 2016, RJ Hollis's senior year where the team finished six and seven, but there weren't enough qualifying bowl teams. So they got into the Hawaii bowl. You guys made the most of it, getting that victory over middle Tennessee. And so that still kind of looms. Obviously it's a tall task in front of you of beating a Wyoming team that just blasted Utah State, who was leading the Mountain Division. Um, and, and so yeah, a lot of things need to go right in order for that to happen. But the question that is being asked by KJ is, if you are the University of Hawaii, would you accept a bowl game invite knowing that you hadn't fully earned it? And so, you know, I'm going to let you go first, RJ, because you've experienced that, where you had a losing season but got into a bowl game Um gladly accepted it and and i'm sure enjoyed the week that comes with the bowl game and so from a player perspective and obviously it's um you know no disrespect to kj and i know where he is coming from but someone that experienced it of getting into a bowl game that way uh, is there any doubt that the university of hawaii should feel bad about taking a spot if, if this is the way that they get it no, never, never. You you should never feel bad about uh, accepting an invitation. They invite you for a reason. Uh, let's not forget 50 top 25 teams, over 50 top 25 teams have lost this year, many of them to unranked teams. So you're talking about some guys being highly ranked with two and three losses to their record in college football this year. So there is an opportunity that if they do beat Wyoming, this is a uh, University of Hawaii, they could be invited. Now to say that it wasn't Fully earned, I get where you're thinking maybe from uh, eligibility as far as having a winning record. You could say it wasn't fully earned, but as somebody that put on the pads, as somebody that made it, you know, through the 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 uh, loophole of being six and seven and being eligible, I, I would say it's almost disrespect to say that they didn't earn it. I think it would be disrespect to turn it down, honestly, if you are invited. You know, there's other universities that are doing worse than the University of Hawaii. And if they do get invited, that's obviously a clear sign that people are doing worse. So, you, you know, I was on a team that won, that was six and seven. We beat Fresno State by a block field goal, won our last regular season home game by outroute by Keelan Evalico. So those were two games that we barely won to get us in a bowl game. But at the same time, we earned that. And when we played Middle Tennessee, who was favored over us, we beat them. We beat them actually pretty good. And we had quite the scoring streak in doing it. And it's a memory that I will carry for the rest of my life. So I do understand the qualifications of wanting to be seven and six over six and seven. But saying it's fully earned would be kind of a misnomer and misleading. Because if it's not fully earned, trust and believe, you will not get an invitation. So if you're not even close enough to be considered for bowl eligibility, no invitation will be given. But if it is, accept it. You've earned it. And Rich, I want to get your thoughts on this, but I also want to set you up because let's remember that if Hawaii does get into a bowl game at six and seven, whether it's this year or any year, that's a benefit 
of being at the University of Hawaii. And that's something that should be in the recruiting pitch that, that you have a, a few more advantages than other teams when it comes to the post, uh, postseason because the University of Hawaii has a bowl game that they host that they are tied to. And if you are, whether you clinch uh, by winning more than games than you lose or whether it's you're the, the first or maybe even only team of the losing teams that get an opportunity because not enough teams reach, that's the University of Hawaii's advantage by having the bowl game and let me remind you that rich miano was on a staff in 2001 when the hawaii bowl did not exist that went nine and three multiple victories over ranked opponents including a victory over previously undefeated and top 10 ranked byu and did not go to a bowl game in a year that a bunch of six and six teams did go to a bowl game so it can work both ways hawaii does have the hawaii bowl and therefore Take advantage of it in the same way that the situation, the bowl game situation took advantage of you 20 years ago, Rich Miano. Yeah, first of all, Rob, see these rings? Okay, so the bottom line is, and RJ alluded to this, is it'd be disrespectful not to take that invitation. And it also, when you, at the end of the day, in two years, three years, five years, 10 years, when you're talking about your college career, you're not going to say, well, we went to a bowl game and we were six and seven. Nobody cares about what that record was. The ability for this program to be on national TV for another game, the ability for this program to have 19 or whatever practices that are allotted to, to get ready for the bowl game is huge. The amount of swag and the amount of memories that these players, that these coaches are going to have, there's not a lot of scores, so to speak. It's the stories. It's the uh, memories. It's the playing in bowl games that these young men, this coaching staff, this state of Hawaii is going to remember in the long run. So whether they're six and seven, if they get invited to this bowl game, Todd Graham said it best. The most important thing in recruiting is winning, playing in bowl games, playing on national TV. You're sure Hawaii is in a lure in terms of when you're recruiting young people. But if they can get into a bowl game, it's going to help in recruiting. It's going to help in these memories. It's going to help uh, just every single aspect of next year's team getting better, becoming elite conditioning, becoming elite discipline. All of those things are part of practicing together. And trust me, this is a group that seems like they like one another. This is a group that if they could send these seniors off potentially with a bowl game, but you're right. It's going to take a Herculean effort against Wyoming. But if it's even in the rearview mirror, it gives you salivation. It gives you hope. And it gives you something more to play for than just pride in your name on the back of the jersey and the state in the front. So, yeah, I mean, if there's even a glimmer of hope that if you beat Wyoming, you're going to get that adrenaline. You're going to get that extra. And hopefully you're going to get that victory in Laramie because it's tough to come by. Awesome stuff. And uh, the next question comes from Dean. And I'm going to preface this by saying it's the longest question in Bo's football final history. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to try to, to, to create a cliff notes version for you uh, of what Dean is asking here. Uh, but pretty much getting at uh, there's been a lot of talk about how unhappy players are, how unhappy coaches are, how difficult of a season it's been. <laughs> And what's going to happen once this season ends? Could this win against Colorado State 
change things or could it be proving that things aren't as bad as things are rumored to be? That's essentially the, the question that's being asked. And so RJ, your thoughts on, I mean, obviously a win is a win. As you talked about, they scored 50 points, which a lot of people didn't think was possible out of this offense. And it sets up an opportunity to play for something here. And whether it's trying to get into a bowl game, I mean, because theoretically you could still win and not get into a bowl game if things don't work out your way, but you're also playing for the Paniolo trophy. And so there's something to play for here in Laramie. And so let's just say for argument's sake, Hawaii is able to get the win. And so you end the season missing out on a bowl game by just one game. You have six victories. You uh, let, let's say that they have a good offensive showing. So you have back-to-back good offensive showings, um, proving a lot of people what I think the team thought was possible. Could that change the feeling of this entire season of what is what this team is capable of and what may be happening here in the offseason? Um, I think it'll change the outlook of the offseason. I think for the season, it kind of stays one and the same. You know, make no mistake about it. The same thing that I said when they played UNLV is the same thing I'm saying when they did good against Colorado State. Your glimpses of greatness are why people are upset or why people are frustrated because they know that it can be done, you know, and just doing it the final two games, great. That just proves the point that it can be done, but then it still strikes the question, where was that at the beginning of the season? I think the biggest, you know, opportunity and outlook it would change is that if you have back-to-back great offensive performances coming into the offseason well now all of those offensive players that were on the cusp of transferring or returning people that were wondering can Bo get this done can Bo actually call offense can he have us be set up for success well with back-to-back victories now that shows you next year it can be done this year it was done too little too late but at the same time there's something that you can show like okay, this team, maybe the offense just needs a little tweaking. Bo needs to stay up in the skybox. And then come next year, we start from Colorado State as a team, if that makes sense. We don't wait until we're 11 games in to finally get Bo up to the skybox. We do it game one. We stay there the whole way. We watch how this defense performs. So I think for this season, it's already done. The season's done. You can't go back and rewrite any game. And having a great performance doesn't necessarily make me think that oh, people were just, you know, a little too critiquey. It was just proving that if you do what needs to be done, if this offense performs at least to 75% of its capability, because there were drop passes on Saturday night, there were fumbles on Saturday night. So if you're talking about an offense that can perform to 75 to 80% of its ability with this defense that got Kane and Undertaker on it, I think that speaks volumes for any offensive player this year that could come back next year. For this season, the only way it can change is if it gets you into a bowl game and then the offense in that bowl game, maybe you can rewrite it. But if you don't get into a bowl game, at the end of the day, the offense just showed up too little too late. All right, Rich, uh, from your standpoint, how much could a successful performance offensively and in the win-loss column against Wyoming rewrite the pages here of 2021? Is it possible? Yeah, um, it's it's a it's a very interesting question because RJ kind of hit it a little bit in terms of it's always good to finish strong and you see potential for the next season, but is it fractured to the point where 
players have already made up their mind to leave. And it's not defensive players. Trust me when I tell you that, because if you play for Todd Graham on defense, what do you like doing? I've always told my defensive backs, even if the offense cannot possess the ball, even if the offense turns the ball over, guess what? I'm going to lead the nation in takeaways because I'm on the field. I have more opportunities. I'm going to lead the nation in sacks because we have more opportunities. We have the opportunity to be statistical leaders and we're playing in a pretty sophisticated defenses where we're checking things against their checks, where we're, we're doing multiple looks and formations and all these other things. So this is a professional type of defense. What does Darius Moose out, Corey Bethley, Jonah Laulu, Blessman Ta'ala, all those guys have a dream and a vision of playing at the next level. So if they think that Todd Graham is putting them in a position to pl possibly play at the next level, and we know sometimes it's a pipe dream, and we know that not more than 10%, maybe less than that, are going to play in the National Football League. Maybe it's like 2 or 3%, maybe 2 or 3 of these guys on this defense may. It's still a dream. It's still an opportunity. I think you ask yourself as a player, is this coach making me better? If I spend five years with Todd Graham, I'm A.J. Bianco, am I going to become a better quarterback? Is he going to prepare me for the National Football League? Is he going to teach me things that I'm going to learn at the next level? And I think unequivocally, yes, on defense, but I'm, I still think the jury's out on offense. Chevin had a phenomenal game. There's still some underthrows. There were still some things that he could do a lot better. Is he becoming a better, consistent quarterback? Is he being taught the fundamentals, the mechanics, the things that he wants to play at the next level? Because I still think he's capable of playing at the next level. Is Cole Laval being taught on this offensive line the type of things he's going to be taught and that he's going to go to training camp next year and excel? I think Day-Day Hunter. I think I think Nick Martiner's an NFL player, potentially. Uh, sure, they got to get better, but at the same time, offensively, are you happy with this coaching staff, the structure of it, what you're being taught, the strength and conditioning program? You know, there's a lot to be negative about nutrition, lack of apparel, lack of facilities, all these other things. But if these guys are advancing your dreams to the next level, if you're getting opportunities to play in bowl games, senior bowl, hula bowl, East West Shrine, NFL PA game, that's the question I think a lot of these young people have to ask themselves. Will it be answered with a win over Wyoming? I think it is a good impetus. If they play in a bowl game and win that game again, and they, they're successful at offense, maybe you think they've turned the corner structurally, schematically, uh, technically, all those things. And I think the jury's still out on offense. But I think as a defensive player, you're not going to go to a, a better school that's going to prepare you for the next level than what you have here at the University of Hawaii. All right. And the last question comes from Warrior Fan 75. And, and really, uh, it's a question that I've seen a lot of this season that I've never used. We've never chosen it as one of the three questions that we use in the show, just because it seemed kind of silly. And, um, and and really, the only reason I'm choosing it is because it is so silly. And, and I want to talk about it. That and So Warrior Fan 75 says, can we please get Bo Graham a new hat? It drives me nuts. Does he not know that that is a baseball hat and not a football hat? And so let me say this before I open up to you guys, all right? It seems odd to me that, that anyone could get upset about anyone wearing a University of Hawaii baseball hat because they're on the University of Hawaii football coaching staff. To me, 
I would think that's something that's celebrated, right? They're like, oh, this is great. This guy, he has um, love for the entire athletics department, that, that he is honoring the baseball team by wearing this cap, right? Um, and, and, and then the other thing is that it almost seems a little unfair because, Rich Miano, you'll remember this, in 2007, when the University of Hawaii was winning the most important games in program history because it was getting them closer and closer to an BCS game and appearing in the Sugar Bowl and winning a conference championship that doesn't happen a lot in the University of Hawaii's history. Only three times ever in UH football history, 1999 or four times, 92, 99, 07, 2010. Those are only four conference championships in UH football history, all right? So it's not like it happens a whole lot. And while this was going on in 2007, June Jones was wearing a Sacramento Kings hat because he had made friends with the Maloofs. And right, remember this, Rich? Yes, and I do. So, I fully know the whole story. And so it's blasphemy to me that people are freaking out and saying like, this is ridiculous, it's embarrassing. He needs a new hat, it's a baseball hat. How ridiculous is that? Yet June Jones in 07 is wearing a Sacramento Kings hat in the game, on the sideline, on national television. And so guys, I mean, is this, is this just being unfair at this point that, I mean, what are we doing here? That, that, that Bo Graham's baseball cap is bothering people. Yeah, yeah. let me start with that one, RJ. Um, first of all, the reason June wore that hat is because he was developing a relationship with the Maloofs who owned the Sacramento Kings, and he was trying to get them as a sponsor because they started you know, to become good friends of the program. So uh, to me, kudos for June Jones for being a trailblazer or whatever else. But you're right. When, when it comes to Bo Graham, I'm old enough to remember when Les Murakami and they started that orange color and, and that was, became part of the baseball lore of the Derek Tatsunos, the Howard Dashevskys, all the great players that, you know, uh, that have come through this program and, and one of the best baseball program, largest attendance in the United States. That's marketing. That's and if Bo Graham was having a more successful season, we would laud him and applaud him for you know him wearing that and helping out the university as a whole. So I just think that, and first of all, do you know technically why? He's the signal caller. You have to recognize when you look over to the sideline, it's a look, look offense, which we have, like most people, there's 11 guys looking over to Bo Graham. They have to spot somebody. They're gonna spot him with an orange cap. If he's green in our, in our traditional colors, if they have a hard time spotting him, that's where you get procedure penalties. That's where you get delay of games. That's where you get an offense that doesn't know they're not on the same page. So he's wearing it for a reason. And the reason is solid. If you're getting on Bo Graham for his orange baseball hat, you got problems. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I totally don't understand it. And for me, it's really that because I think the hat is swaggy, actually. I, I kind of like the hat. And if my hair, if I didn't wear an extra large helmet, I might go get the hat myself, you know. But, you know, I'd be tired of wearing snapbacks where I can't snap it in the back. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I, I think the biggest problem with that is, like, when I talk to a lot of people, just about being myself and my love for the University of Hawaii, I shoot my crazy ideas about what should be done. I remember one time I was talking to David Matlin and I was telling him, you just need to get more H's out there. There needs to be more H's. Like, I know I didn't get my ring out of a, a diamond mine like uh, Rich did when he had his own earlier and his, you know, fingers looked like they was 50 cent. But, you know, this this right here, 
means so much to me, but it really means so much because of the H on the front. And at the end of the day, what is it about outside of the H? Whether it's an orange H, a top of H, a black H, a blue H, a red H, whether it's the Menahune with the rainbows coming out of his back, whether it's the top, it doesn't matter. It's for the university. So if he's not wearing a University of Texas cap, if he's not wearing a University of Texas San Antonio cap or a Sacramento Kings cap, and he's not trying to get sponsors, because I ain't know that part, nor did I know the Sacramento Kings story. But at the same time, it's for the brand. At the end of the day, I know a lot of people are very critical of Bo Graham, the offense and what it's been. So I do think that has a little bit to do with it. Same thing with uh, Ty Graham's um, maroon and gold wristbands. A lot of people thought it had to do with ASU and all that stuff. And I think that comes from frustration. But if you're looking at it from an honest opinion, you should be happy to see people wearing a, a myriad and multitude of Hawaii swag. I think it should be put out there that, Hey, you can rep the University of Hawaii and have some drip about yourself. Like, granted, he's doing it as an offensive coordinator, but if Bo Graham wears that hat out to the club, I don't think he's going to lose points for it. I'd wear it. I know a lot of young kids will wear it. And who knows? Maybe some kid, maybe some recruit saw that hat and wants to wear it now just for that reason. And at the end of the day, when you're asked about that H, when you're asked about Bo Graham, why he wears it, what's the colors, all this, that, and the third, it all reverts back to the same thing, the University of Hawaii. And at the end of the day, that is all it's about, the University of Hawaii. Hey, hey, Rob, can I wrap that thought up? Yeah. Here's the deal, right? You know, and we were so proud when Kevin Plank came to us as one of only like four or five schools that was the original sponsorship of Under Armour. We actually got a lot of swag being out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. We were just proud to have an apparel sponsor. But I'll be real honest with you. You know, I go through the airports, I go through the apparel places, and every tourist, 10 million of them that come to this, this beautiful state every year, and every local person should want to represent Hawaii in that HSRJ talked about. Because the colors are beautiful, the top is beautiful, whatever else. But I've been disappointed in the apparel, in the swag, in terms of the quality. Now that Adidas has taken over, I'm hoping they take this to a whole new level. Because to me, that's ancillary income. That's marketing at its finest. And we need better swag because if you don't want to wear the H, I'm talking tourists. I'm talking local people. I'm talking alumni. I'm talking fans. This should be so much more swag. So if you give them good swag, I think people buy it. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, I'm, and like we've talked about in this show uh, on a handful of occasions, we're excited to see what Adidas brings to the table. And you have to remember that Adidas coming in as the outfitter for the University of Hawaii is a lot like the Aloha Stadium situation, right, where no one expected it. Under Armour was still under contract with UH. Under Armour got into trouble, had to drop a bunch of other schools, including the University of Hawaii. And therefore, Adidas took over UH not knowing they were going to be the outfitter for UH. And so that's why if anyone has any questions in regards to this season of why is there not more stuff available to purchase, why are there not Adidas jerseys for sales and all that? It's because literally Adidas took over months into the season. And so you're not really going to see uh, what the Adidas UH partnership looks like until 2022 in the same way of you're not going to really see what the possibilities are for the Clarence TC Ching Athletics Complex until years go on because 
you had four months to build a, a college football stadium. And so I, I just say, be patient on that. It's not the UH's fault. It's not Adidas's fault. It's just the situation and things are going to grow here moving forward. Uh, and, and just one last note on, on the whole Bo Graham situation of the hat and, and, and the questions and the comments that we get. And you mentioned something rich when you were talking about representation of Hawaii and, you know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that, you know, I, I recognize names that come into to the mailbox of people that ask questions a lot. And we thank you so much uh, for, for putting those in, but also re recognize trends. And it seems like the same people that constantly have something to say about Bo Graham or Todd Graham or whatever it is, are the same people who are talking about local kids staying home and wanting local kids to stay home. And that once a local kid leaves, uh, the state of Hawaii that they shouldn't be treated as a representative of Hawaii uh, because they're not representing the UH football team. Well, for those people, just take a step back and just think about those two things that, that are going on is that, hey, no matter what way you slice it, Todd Graham, Bo Graham chose to be at the University of Hawaii, right? In the same way that a student athlete chooses to be at the University of Hawaii. And in the same way that a student athlete chooses to not come to the University of Hawaii, and that's how you want them to be treated, well, these are people who chose to be here. And these are people that could have walked away and could have left already if they chose to, but did not. And, and so just try to keep that balance of, hey, you might not be happy with the offense. You might not be happy with this, that, or the other thing, um, but you can't have it both ways, right? You can't, you can't, you know, uh, uh, anyone who leaves Hawaii is dead to you, and yet someone that chose to be at Hawaii is dead to you too, right? At, at the same time, cap. yeah, yeah, because they're wearing a baseball cap, and, and so I, I just think, and when it comes to to all things in life, I mean, just just gotta take a step back a little bit more, and 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 try to see things from a wider perspective. Um, although, with that being said, there's a reason why they're called fanatics, right? Uh, and, and, and that's why, right? And it makes it fun because, again, a 50 to 45 victory was infuriating to some. It was bliss to others. But no matter what way you looked at it, it was a victory for the University of Hawaii football team. Well, again, guys, uh, the Rainbow Warriors will finish their regular season on the road in Laramie, Wyoming this Saturday morning time here. Uh, kickoff is at 11 a.m. So that means 1030 start for Spectrum Sports game on. And uh, we'll see what happens. There's a lot that, that needs to unfold to see what happens with this University of Hawaii football team moving forward if they have another game. But we'll have a lot of time to talk about that. And we will talk about whatever goes down in that Paniolo Trophy battle between the Bows and the Pokes on Saturday here on Bows Football Final every Monday at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. Rich Miano, RJ Mahalas, much mahalo for joining us this morning. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll be back next week. Have a great week. Take care of yourselves. Aloha.